0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today.
2: From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly
3: ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner! Welcome to Sports on a Sunday Morning. America's
0: Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome to the show, BK. How are you, buddy? That's I some, am good. How are you? I'm good. That's. Uh, I was coming in this morning, and just as I was getting that first glimpse of the skyline, I'm like, whoa, where the buildings go? Yeah. The river fog came up. <laughs> it and so sure did. I tried to get in position to take a picture of the arch, and within like five minutes... The fog had burned away. I got a nice picture of the arch. A nice clear blue (laughs) sky and sun shining on it. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was fast, and that was uh, very cool to see, actually. It was like an hour ago.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah, Ben Ben sent out a
1: picture of the arch when you can't see the top of it because of the fog. Yeah, it was uh,
0: was like sunny, but there was this layer of fog over the city. It was very interesting to see. Um, What a day for St. Louis FC. I want to start with that real quick and give them their due. They... Do not end the season. They do not end their entire franchise right. until they say so.
1: We're and not done yet. They, they are not done. Going. Yet. Yeah. They
0: went to Hartford and won one to nothing. Good for them.
1: And they won in like the what fourth or fifth minute yeah, of extra minute time of at the end time. of the yeah. game. It was like there wasn't much time left, and they they got it done. So I'm I'm really happy for the fans because they you know they have the most loyal fans around, and and uh, just thrilled for that whole organization that they keep. You have to keep playing.
0: Yeah, I like that. Good for Jim Cavanaugh and that group and the Luligans and everybody else that I know they're going to make their way over to St. Louis City SC. And yeah. I know that's not easy, though. You know, you put all that time and effort into a franchise and you know that it's going to come to an end. But when? I don't know. I mean, next weekend they're going to play again. They're going to play Louisville City, and they beat them once. Yeah. They're, I think, 1-2-1 and one against them this year. So it's the Eastern Conference semis for them, but they win at Hartford. And now they have Louisville City, and we'll see. I mean, what story team. that would be.
1: Louisville and St. Louis, the FC there, that's a great rivalry. And so it's really fun that it's going to come down to that, and let's see, and hopefully they'll move on.
0: You just called them the most loyal fans around. This is coming from a Blues fan right here. Huh?
1: Well, I know. And, and, what you know, when you have a minor league team, and that's what they are, you yeah. know, they're they're like second level. You're a smaller group, and, you know, it's harder to get people in a major league city to jump on that bandwagon. And so when you're you. there you're you're a part of a small select group and they're loyal they're loud they travel and so I yeah you know uh, I hear you man pretty loyal yeah
0: no no that's 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 right on and uh, that's exactly what is what we've reached here is this team I'm telling you that would be and we all know that would be just an outstanding story I yes. mean I I just uh, I love stories like that I pull for stories like oh, yeah. that. And I hope, I hope that they get another win and keep this thing going and play for a championship in a season where they're going to fold. I mean, that <laughs> is just awesome. Yeah. So good for them and let it be known that we led sports on a Sunday morning with St. Louis FC. For it, sure. I, I really want those fans and that, that group to know that we care about them. Now, as for your St. Louis Blues and my St. Louis Blues for that matter, Wow. I mean, yeah. when I saw that Doug Armstrong had signed Tory Krug, I'm like, holy bleep. <clears throat> I mean, I thought, I that is a, I don't know if it's cold-blooded or if that is a shrewd business move or that is just getting the job done when you knew that you probably are going to lose him and you've got to get the next best available. He was the next best available. Torrey Krug is not Alex Petrangelo. But he's a very good offensive-minded defenseman. Mm -hmm. We all know he can lay out a hit because he put Robert Thomas on his rear end uh, early in the Stanley Cup final. It was a charge, but yeah. uh, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, yeah. He didn't leave his feet until after he blasted him. But he came in. He came a long way. He was ready to go. Yeah. So, I I mean, it's some move. I mean, I... I, uh, I think that Doug Armstrong is successful because of this. You can argue one way. You know how I feel about Petro. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is the captain of the team, and I didn't feel like the Blues it was in their best interest to lose him. But this is a money thing, and if he's going to get more money, you've got to make the next move. And so if I'm Alex Petrangelo, my head was spinning a little bit yesterday.
1: And his options are limited. I mean, Toronto went ahead, and they signed T.J. Brody, so they're out of the sweepstakes. Vegas, even to make room, has to make some moves and has to have somebody take some of flurry. Not and just they, flurry, and
0: they, did, but, they dealt Stastny to the Jets. Yeah, they did. Let's,
1: yeah. and so they, they've got to free up some space. There's mm-hmm. talk about Florida, but would he want to go down there? I mean, you got Quinville, and they've got a lot of talent. They've had a lot of talent for a long time and still can't win. Uh, so his options are, are are smaller and smaller all the time, too. It was a bold move for sure, and it's a case of where, you know what, We've given you our best offer. We've gone over this over and over again. We can't wait. We've got to. We've got to take care of our situation, and uh, I, I. I don't want to see Petro go, but I. You got to hand it to Doug Armstrong. I mean, the guy went as far as he felt he could, and decided we cannot get through this without bringing somebody in who can step in and at least fill some. Of those skates.
0: Now, look, I know that people want John Mosaylock to be that way. I mean, they mm-hmm. want him to, and he's, he's made some moves in the past, but they want him to clean this thing up and get this team going. And I think it really bothers people that some former Cardinals are thriving in the postseason yes. and have been. Whitey Herzog has an interesting take on that. You're going to hear him coming up here in the next segment. Whitey addresses that directly. So I'll be uh, interested to hear what people think about the Hall of Famer. I did talk to him. He sounds so good. Yes. He's going to be 89 next month. And Whitey Herzog will be part of the show here in just a few minutes. So don't go anywhere. Plus, Al Roboski, who was on my Garage Happy Hour, uh, will also be on the show. We'll, we'll play a few snippets of that. He was really good. And Wow. Eli Drinkwitz, <laughs> welcome to the University of Missouri. Now, this is an LSU team. I'm going to start by saying this just to for all the Mizzou haters out there or Mizzou realists, because we all are. Yeah. And we all, by the way, were counting the downs there on the one yard line. I <laughs> guarantee you, I uh-huh. was too. But they shut them down on one, two, three, four downs in a row and won the game against LSU yesterday, 45-41. LSU is not the LSU from last year. They did not beat. They technically beat the defending national champion, but they've lost a lot of players to the NFL. They are depleted. They're not the same. That said, Missouri is also not the same, not at all. I mean, they lost seven players to COVID Mm -hmm. for this game, three of their top defensive tackles, three of their top receivers, this was a Missouri team that was also dealing with a lot of depth issues. And with a freshman quarterback, they hung in there and beat LSU straight up. I mean, there is no trick to it. They mm-hmm. won the game. They beat them. They outplayed them. As ESPN put a big headline in all caps, LSU just lost to Missouri with an emoji with wide eyes. No. Mizzou beat LSU. I mean, you know, so that might get people's attention. Mizzou beat LSU in an SEC football game, and congratulations to them.
1: I like the way they kept responding. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times when you have a game like that, if a team like LSU comes back and takes a lead on you, you're done. Not Missouri. They kept coming back. They kept fighting. And as we saw, literally the very last play, they kept fighting. And uh, and then you talk about the receivers who were down. You know, a couple weeks ago we had some drop passes that that could have really changed the game. Those guys were great. I don't know. the depth on that receiving core showed itself, and that was very impressive to see.
0: Suddenly things look a little different for Missouri. I mean, they play Vanderbilt next, mm-hmm. so you got a chance to go two and two, and you got to come back and get a win here. But you play yeah. them at home on a Saturday night, then they go to Florida. Florida got beat yesterday uh, by Texas A and M, so we'll see how they respond to that. And Kentucky on Halloween, uh, October 31st at 11 a.m. And then Georgia will deal with that when you have to deal with that. But uh, this is a good win, a very, yeah. very good win for Eli Drinkwitz, who will be on the show today. He's coming up in a half hour.
1: And remember when the talk was about, what was it, old man football in the SEC? Mm-hmm. That looked like a they were doing a Big 12 impersonation <laughs> yesterday. All those games <laughs> man, were there crazy. Were some, there some yeah. high-scoring
0: games. So the one thing, though, underneath all of that, even though it was a video game-type score, mm-hmm. 45-41, missouri held LSU down uh, their running game in check. Mm-hmm. They really did, although LSU was flinging the ball all over the place and yeah. doing it with ease at times. But they held them in check, and this is shocking to me, after what Tennessee did, O for 10 on third down. Wow. LSU, O for 10. Yeah. When Missouri could not stop Tennessee on third down or fourth down, for that matter, LSU for the game 20 carries for 49 yards. Wow. Never in my wildest dreams would I think that that would be the case in LSU team against Missouri team, but that's what happened.
1: And LSU took advantage of a couple of turnovers. If Missouri can eliminate those, it's the game's not as close.
0: So there's a lot going on, including the news that broke over the last few hours. The Patriots-Broncos game has been postponed until next week because of an outbreak or another positive test. This within the Patriots organization. The Titans have another a positive test, so they've shut down that facility. We're trying to sort all of this out. I don't know what the future of the NFL is. I can tell you right now that they are postponing games, and it's not great, especially with all the resources they have. They chose not to go with a bubble, and it's difficult to do, granted, but here's where we are. Uh, The the Patriots-Broncos game, so adjust your fantasy uh, teams accordingly, and the Titans also uh, are being... Uh, are dealing with this as well. We do have the Chiefs coming up at 11 a.m. That's our pregame Chiefs and Raiders. That's why we only have an hour today. Whitey Herzog is next. That's Brian Kelly. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm Tom Ackerman. Sports on a Sunday morning with Whitey Herzog next.
2: From KMOX Sports.
3: Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday morning. On America's Sports Voice. KMOX
0: Tom Ackerman back on KMOX. Look who we have on the line. It's Hall of Famer Whitey Herzog. Whitey, it's great to talk to you. First of all, how are you doing? Well,
2: I'm still on this side of the grass, Tom. I feel very good. Everybody tells me how good I look, but I'll be honest, Tom, I don't feel as good as I look.
0: (laughs) I saw a picture of you recently. You do look great, and uh, I know that you are... You know, just like all of us, we're taking it each day, right? I mean, this is a, well, a tough time. I'll tell
2: you something. This virus is, has affected every person in the United States. I mean, it's just, uh, I hope they get uh, to the, you know, figure out what's going on. They stop it. They get us back to normal living because it's tough. I mean, it's just tough for everybody. But you got to live with it. you got to be careful. you got to be careful in public. you got to you know, wear the mask and try to keep it at my age, I certainly hope I don't get it, you
0: know. Yeah, I understand. And uh, I'm absolutely with you on that. We send our love to you and Mary Lou and everybody. And, you know, it has been a a tough uh, month here, uh, Whitey, with the passing of Lou Brock and Bob Gibson. Uh, I wanted to ask you to share your thoughts, if you would, on Mr. Gibson first, and who uh, just uh, we just lost him on Friday night. What an incredible figure in Cardinals history and in baseball history, Whitey.
2: Yes, you know, I uh, did all my playing and my first uh, couple of managing jobs over in the American League. So I didn't personally know Bob until I came here as a manager in 1980, and I think he was doing... Uh, some broadcast work for Jack and uh, Shannon, and uh, he was also in the booth, and uh, Jack and Shannon uh, were very fond of Bob, and they were actually uh, wanting me to hire him as my pitching coach when I took the job and, um, because I hadn't named my coaches yet when I first uh, joined the club. You know. Down in Atlanta, I kept the coaches that Kenny had till the end of the year. And, uh, you know, if I didn't know him, Bob Gibson, personally, uh, like I knew him now, say 30 years later, or even five years later, I probably would have hired him, but
3: I had to have
2: somebody to talk to and what eat with on the road and stuff. And I couldn't hire a bunch of guys I didn't know, but you know, once I got to know Gibby and, uh. What a great guy he was, and I was at numer- numerous uh, functions with him and so forth. He was really a, what you call a genuine person. And, uh, you know, in my year, eight years that I worked with the New York Mets in development and so forth, uh, I'd have to say that that Bob Gibson, uh, when, I, when I did get to know him, was just, uh, uh, here's what I would say. That when they came out with the quality start, six inch, uh, six innings, and if anything typifies Bob Gibson, the statement he made to me one night at a function in, in uh, Bush Stadium, he said, when I pitched a quality start, was a nine-inning complete game win. And when you look at Bob Gibson's record, the fact that he had more, what well, you'd call it, uh, appearances and complete games, and he had wins. I
0: think it was like 254 to 258. You're right.
2: It's, and it's, then you look at the complete games uh, last uh, this last year. Wainwright led in complete games with two. In 60 games as the year before, I think the American League leader had three and the National League leader had two. You know, it's a joke. And I, the one thing that, that he stressed was he thinks that they're babying the young pitchers too much and that there might be something to that. And with all the analytics being used in baseball now, you know, the, the analytics feels like most pitchers can't go through the batting order three times. And when our young pitchers have 100 pitches in the sixth inning, they're out of there. They pinch hit farm, and that's the way it is. So by the same token, we're not going to have any more 250 or 300-game 300, 300 winning pitchers if history keeps going like it is. It just ain't going to happen. But when I look back and when I joined and I got to the big leagues in 1956 and until I re- retired in 90, you know, I've seen some awful good pitchers. And most of the good pitchers, their worst inning was always the first one. If you got Gibson uh, and got him in trouble in the first inning or Tom Seaver or Colfax, or Drysdale or Carlton, who I consider probably the five best pitchers that of all time that I've seen. You know, if if you, they settled down by the second, third inning, they was almost certain they were going to go all the way. And now it's just the opposite. You know, I, I don't know when the last time since I've I retired as a manager that I've seen a starting pitcher pitch with the bases loaded in the eighth inning. <laughs>
0: Yeah. You know, I love hearing uh, the stories about Bob, and I, I loved hearing Bob talk about pitching. And I saw an interview that he did with Reggie Jackson some years ago when they came out with their book, and he said, you know, people thought that I pitched people inside. He said, I pitched them away because most hitters like the ball middle in so they can pull it. He said, I pitched them away, away. It was when they started to lean out to go for it. That's when I had to stand them up a little bit. And well,
2: sta- <laughs> that's when everybody did. You yeah. know, and Gibby had the thing that he would brush back guys. But to protect yourself, because the big right-hand hitters against pitchers like him and Saver, that were power guys, they start leaning over, you know, and, that's, and they had to come inside to get them off the plate. So the outside was more vulnerable. I... I uh, I went knew Satchel Paige for a while. I played with him at Miami. I was a coach when Finley signed him at 60 years old for the uh, L.A.s in Kansas City and sat in the bullpen and talked to him a lot. He always stated that more mistakes are made inside than outside. And he always said, The pitcher away about three inches outside, and let the hitter make the mistake. And that was the way he pitched. And I, I didn't see Satchel on his spine, but Feller and all of them told me that he might have been one of our greatest pitchers in history, uh, which he was. I'm sure he was.
0: Whitey, when I say the name Lou Brock, what do you think of?
2: What I really think of, and I'm going to be very honest, I wish Vince Coleman was as good a hitter as Lou Brock was. And the reason I say that, because when I think of Lou Brock, when I was coaching third base for the Mets in in, uh, 1966, Lou Brock was a regular left fielder for the Cardinals, and when he charged a one-half-line drive to the left field, you better be careful because he'd, he'd throw you out. He had that good arm. Uh, but when the ball bounced twice instead of once, he had a little trouble handling it. And I got to know him personally over the years, and I was just with him uh, last year during the Cardinal game, and he came out of the hospital, and I sat and talked to him. I thought he was doing pretty well, but I used to hear from Red, and I used to hear from Shannon, and I used to hear from Gibby and all his teammates what a tough guy he was. He was never in the trainer's room, never getting treatment, never missed any games. And I thought myself, when when Vince played for me from, from the time I left here to 1965, and his mentality if he could have got on base and been the hitter as good as Lou brock was he might have stole 150 bases a year that's that's the one thing personally i thought about boy vince i wish you could have hit like blue brock <laughs> <laughs> you know, but over the last few years tom yep. when i think of lose illnesses and uh you know the amputation because of diabetes uh, the heart problems he was having and so forth, and then his wife, you know, with the eyesight and so forth. They had a miserable three years with so many health complications, and yet every time you've seen both of them, they were smiling, going on, and, and they just looked at life like they were just happy to be here. Every day day they spent on earth. That's the one thing I remember about Lou and his wife.
0: Whitey Herzog is with us, the Hall of Famer. One more thing for you, Whitey, before we go. I know you watch a lot of baseball, and I know you had your eyes on the Cardinals. Just your assessment on where the Cardinals are right now and what they can do to be better.
2: Well, let me tell you something. There's a wonderful opportunity for the Cardinals right now. If they realize they got to get a couple of hitters in the outfield, and they have to make themselves better and more consistent offensively. And when you look at their club this year and even last year, they've got to learn to make contact. They can't keep striking out uh, one out of every 4 at-bats as a team which they did this year with the DH in the lineup last year was one out of four and a half times as a team. And when you strike out, you don't move runners. And when you don't move runners, you don't pick up runs. You should pick up early in the ball game, and you're not consistent on your run scoring ability. One night you might get seven or eight, and then you go into a tank, and you don't get two or three runs in a game for a week. It ain't going to work. I think their infield and Yachty, my God, I can't say enough good things about Yachty. How many games he catches the important hits he gets day games after night, games after years. He's just an amazing athlete. and uh, I think their infield is plenty good to win the pennant, but they got to get a couple. I know that I do think this, too, that Carlson will be one of the regulars starting next season and be a very good major league ball player defensively and offensively and put up numbers. Who knows what it's going to be, but I I think these numbers are going to be at least a 2020 guy and be defensively a very good ball player. So if they can come up with a young outfielder that's going to play every day and hit 250 and put the ball in play, I think right then and there, you know, Look at the American League. You know, if Rhett Yelich don't come back what he was, uh, Milwaukee's got no offense. When you look at Cincinnati, the last time the Cardinals played them, they had one regular hitting over 254. Uh, When when you look at Pittsburgh, they're a long way away. They got to get lucky with about three starting (laughs) pitchers. And the opportunity right now, is for the Cardinals to make hay, and they can win that division if they do it the right way. And, uh, you know, I don't want to criticize the the moves the Cardinals made because hindsight is a hell of a lot better, you know, than foresight. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you look at the American League, and they're talking about vote in the American League and home runs, and then the National League, and talking about Ozuma, Leading in RBIs and batting average and everything else. And then you got a Chuck just signed a long-term contract for 20, uh, $10 million a year. And now you're talking about Arizona, who's really having a playoff for Tampa Bay and looks like to really be a good young hitter. But there's, uh, he's an outstanding is about the left-hand pitcher they got not only from the Cardinals but other people. So he'll probably be a
0: one of the best managers in the history of the game. Whitey, I miss hanging out with you, our one, two, three club meetings and everything else. But, boy, is it great to talk some baseball with Whitey Herzog. I really appreciate it. Okay, always good talking to you, Tom. Thank you very much. There he is, Whitey Herzog, with us on KMOX. All the best to him and his wife, Mary Lou. We'll be back right after this.
2: From KMOX Sports, here's the pitch.
3: Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. Oh.
0: America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Whitey Herzog. Isn't he great? Wow. What great points he makes, too, about the Cardinals and their outfield. And here's Al Rabosky. I visited with him on my Garage Happy Hour on Thursday. Al was terrific. The Mad Hungarian. We talked about... Bob Gibson, we discussed Lou Brock. We told some stories about Al in the 1970s playing for the Cardinals and the Royals and the Braves. We did talk about this 2020 Cardinals club, and he said this.
3: I think Bill DeWitt's the best owner in baseball, mm-hmm. um, and I say that because he loves baseball. He knows his organization better than, than just about anybody, and he doesn't do stupid things. You know, just throwing money out there doesn't always work. Uh, You have to have that cohesive family atmosphere in the clubhouse. And, you know, and I think you got a great communicator in Mike Schilt that uh, is going to help that. Well, whatever he gets, he's going to mold it the best way. But, you know, and you know the fan base is looking at Luke Boyd, looking at Ozuna, looking at Rosa Reina, you know, all those guys and what they've done. And and, uh, so – There's there's some pressure on them right now. And I just uh, I just wonder if they if they say, okay we didn't get the answers we were looking for last year and we're going to basically go with the same offensive group. I'm not sure the fan base is going to accept that.
0: The season will be here before we know it. The Cardinals already have a spring training schedule and then they will open the season. And when that home opener happens at Bush Stadium, uh, we certainly hope it's back with fans and Clydesdales and everything else. Here's Al.
3: We rave about opening day and we think and we know uh, St. Louis has the best opening day of all baseball. But when I was playing, you know, Stan uh, would be around the ballpark quite a bit, but we didn't have the fanfare or something like that. Red was managing. Lou and Bob were teammates. So you didn't have those guys. And then now to have that Red Jackets, not only to see the – so all we had really was the Clydesdales, which I thought was great in its own right. Yeah. But the last few years, to have all those great on the field. And then they uh, came up with the Cardinal Hall of Fame. It's it just so significant. And it's the best production in baseball – um, I, I just know that next year we're going to be able to, you know, have fans in the stands. And you know, the Cardinals are going to have to do something special on Opening Day for Lou and Gibby. Um, but we also have to remember we got to hang on with Red. Our, I mean, with Whitey. Um, Whitey's getting up there in age. I know he's doing health wise. He's he's okay. Um, but we have to remember the treasures that are still with us.
0: Indeed. And Whitey was great in that last segment. He'll be 89 next month. Uh, he mentioned Lou Brock, Al did. They were very, very close.
3: You know, I think it was just very simple where he would, you know, welcome me to the ball club. But I remember after that, you know, he started, uh, you know, a few times we'd go to dinner, a few times we'd do this, we'd do that, you know, but. Uh, Uh, you know, I, I got a t-shirt deal when, you know, out of, out of Lou, I even, he even made up a mad Hungarian Brockabroa for me at (laughs) the time. And, um, we, we, we did a lot of little things. It was one of those friendships too, that, you know, if I didn't see him when I got traded to the Royals and then, and then the Braves and, you know, I'm not seeing uh, Lou for a few years or something. Once you, once we were back together, it was just like you just picked up and had a conversation yesterday. Um, I always thought he had my best interest at heart. And, um, you know, he tried to educate me to, you know, some people to, you know, trust um, the financial world. Or, you know, uh, he got me my first agent, you know, those kind of things that was his agent. Um, And that was just coming into vogue. But, um, you know, Lou was just such a special person. And, and, you know, both of them, you know, the, the baseball world lost two greats.
0: It's a very, very special fraternity, the former Cardinals, and they pass that knowledge and genuine love for each other on to the next group of players, and uh, you can hear it in Al's voice, no doubt about it, and all of those that we've had on the air over the last month. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, he has established himself so far in Columbia. Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, huge win for him yesterday. He's live with us next at 1045 on Sports on a Sunday morning.
3: KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. Oh, yeah! On America's Sports Voice, KMOX.
0: Well, they lit up Jesse Hall in gold last night. A new tradition at the University of Missouri. And here comes Eli Drinkowitz, the head coach of the Tigers. Big win for them yesterday. 45-41 over LSU. How are you, coach? Always great to have you on KMOX.
4: Yeah, I'm doing good, doing good, uh, working, figure out ways to get better.
0: That's right, Vanderbilt's next. That's the life of a coach, isn't it? Off you go.
4: <laughs> yes, sir. I mean, it's, it, uh, you're only as good as your last game, and, and um, we have a 24-hour rule. We're not quite to that 24 hours, but as coaches, you know, we're watching the tape. We're seeing the things that have to get corrected, and uh, that's, that's what our focus is right now.
0: What were you thinking about last night in those great moments with your team, with your friends and family?
4: Um, you know, I think it's just been a long nine months for everybody uh, as far as just dealing with the virus, the uncertainty, the, the you know, the questions, whether or not this is going to work. I mean, you know, there's just all kinds of things that have gone on and for it to, to pay for it, not really for me, um, for the kids, for our, our staff, for everybody that's believing in us. Uh, that, that was really all I was worried about.
0: I thought there was a lot to be said for that final stand on the 1-yard line. You stop them on 4 downs and beat LSU. I heard you say on the TV interview right after you referenced Toughness Tuesday. What is Toughness yeah. Tuesday?
4: Well, Toughness Tuesday for us is just that tough day of the week where, you know, we have lifting in the morning. They got to get up early, they got to come in and lift, they got to go do their academics, they got to come back and Tuesday's practice is always a physical practice. It's always the most mentally challenging and demanding because you, you've, you've listed, you've went into long meetings, you go out and practice 24 periods. It's just, it's a hard day. And, uh, The only way to attack that day is with toughness, mental and physical toughness, and and, uh, it showed on that fourth down stop.
0: Yes, it did. And you were missing so many. You were missing so many defensive tackles and and D-backs and uh, wide receivers due to injury and COVID-19, and you still got the job done over a good LSU team, that's for sure, the defending national champions, number 17 in the country. Before we talk about your quarterback, Connor Bazelak, I wanted to ask what you felt about his teammate. Sean Robinson. That is never an easy thing, but it is football, and you had to make a change. How did that go?
4: Yeah, you know, I couldn't be more proud of, of Sean and the way he handled himself this week, and was just an incredible teammate all week. It was never about him; it was about how can we win as a football team. Um, I think our team saw that, and they they responded to the way that he responded to the situation, and. He practiced his mental toughness, uh, and it was it was remarkable for our football team, and it's a great sign for him as a person moving forward, uh, and it's a great sign for our football team too.
0: That's good. What is What makes Connor go, and what makes this offense go? How did that work so well for you as he flings the ball around and has a tremendous yeah. day?
4: yeah i mean he was he was obviously in the zone uh which which helps a lot but let let's make sure we don't all overreact to a one game performance um he had a tremendous game um but the the hallmark of a quarterback is consistency and we got to be consistent next week and the week after and the week after and the week after so not ready to to just you know say we've arrived he's he's a young quarterback he's still uh, has a lot of things that he can continue to grow and learn from. But I was extremely proud of the poise that he showed throughout the game.
0: There were uh, some fumbles in this game, too. I mean, you did lose three fumbles in the game. He referenced there are some things certainly to clean up. But to turn it back around also and to, to establish the run and stop the run like you did. We just talked about this last week, how Tennessee kept converting on third down after third down. How do you hold them on th- to no third down conversions?
4: Well, I think it's our, our will to improve uh, and don't overreact. Just react, you know, figure out what you got to do to make, make uh, the plays change in your favor. And that's what we did. Um, again, I mean, there's a lot of things that we're going to go back and correct. It's just, it's, it's better to do it after a win than a loss. So, but we had the ball was on the ground way too much. Um, we had some poor, poor things happen to us in special teams. And so a lot of things that we're going to have to continue to work to improve on.
0: And I know that uh, Nick Bolton's banged up, and there was a, there's an injury there. You know, obviously, you don't need to disclose everything that's going on with him, but that's uh, some effort, too.
4: Yeah, he's, uh, he's a warrior, there's no doubt, and that's why he's a team captain. He has the respect of all his teammates uh, for the way he puts himself out there every day, You know, game on the line. Um, so incredibly proud of him and the rest of the defense for the way they, they
0: performed. So Vanderbilt is next, and then you have uh, a game after that, but I know all your concentration will be on the Commodores. What's the biggest thing? What's the message to your team after this 24-hour period expires? Uh,
4: It's all about improvement. Um, You know, as a team, as a program, we're nowhere near where we want to be, uh, and the only way to get there is to constantly improve. If you sit there and pat yourself on the back, you're going to get a butt with them. And so we're not going to sit here and pat ourselves on the back. We're going to sit here and... Acknowledge the things that we did right. uh, Acknowledge the things that we did wrong. And we got to go out to work uh, today and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and correct it.
0: Everything that went against you, you found a way. And in the end, got a victory 45-41 over LSU. Congratulations on it. Good luck next week. Thank you for adjusting, by the way, on this time to join us at 1045 so we can get to the Chiefs at 11. Really appreciate it, Coach. Always great having you on KMOX.
4: No problem. Go Chiefs.
0: That's right. There he is, Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach of the Missouri Tigers. Terrific. Enjoyed that very much. That was a really, really nice win for the University of Missouri and their fans who've been hanging in there, no doubt about it. Joining us on the line, he's been hanging on. It is Nick Ragone back on KMOX. How are you?
5: I'm great, and it was a great win yesterday. Glad to hear Coach talk about it.
0: Yeah, it's a very good win for the Tigers, no question about it. Well, Nick, uh, this has uh, been a challenging year for a lot of people, and uh, with your great group at Ascension, uh, you've been able to uh, kind of, you know, keep moving forward, I would say. You try to make yeah, I the think best, that, right? Yeah,
5: I think that's a great way of putting it. You know, we we announced the tournament, the Ascension Charity Classic, presented by Emerson almost a year ago exactly, October 8th, and great press conference and great momentum up to March. We had... Uh, Selling out the proams tickets, sponsorships, and obviously COVID hit and our world stopped. And obviously, much more important, uh, you know, the health of the country versus sports. But and so we had to cancel the event, which we're disappointed with. But at the same time, I'm extraordinarily proud for two things. One is Emerson stepped up to be the presenting sponsor, and just keep in mind they did that at the height of COVID, which says a lot about that company and Dave Farr and their leadership, and Worldwide did as well. And so because of that, we last week we were still able to give out two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars to our three charities, Mary Grove, the Boys and Girls Club, and Urban League, without a shot being hit ever in the history of the tournament. And according to the PJ Tour, we're the first event in tour history to ever give out charity before the event started. And that says everything you need to know about St. Louis, about the companies that are here and the good corporate citizens, and about what we want to accomplish with this tournament. So now we're ticket sales are, been, are online right now, and we are already uh, sold 3,000 tickets in the first week, which, again, it's a year away. That's amazing.
0: Nick is the uh, executive vice president of Ascension, chief marketing and communications officer. And boy, did you have some people. I mean, how about Tom Watson and Jack Nicholas, among others, that were involved in getting your message out there? If anyone has ever been to a PGA Tour Champions event, it is just remarkable to see these living legends just walking it's through the property. a lot of property.
5: fun. Yeah, you know, we were fortunate. Last week we did a little event with uh, Mr. Nicholas, Tom Watson, and Hale. And, first of all, they're so giving of their time. Tom Watson obviously has a connection to Norwood. He met his famed caddy Bruce Edwards there in 1973. Uh, Jack has a connection to this area, too. You know, he loves uh, major golf. He loves Belle Reeve. He remembers playing in 65. And, of course, Hale Irwin's f- lived here for so long. And they, um, they've been so supportive. And the Champions Tour, for anybody that has been to an event, those pro-ams are as much fun as you can get. Playing inside the ropes with these legends, they talk. They give you playing tips. They engage with you. They, they're so friendly, and so we think we're going to have an extraordinary field next year. We're hoping Ernie Els, Jim Furyk has won twice. Um, Phil has played his first event. He's playing again in a few weeks, and we're hoping to get Phil here. So we think we're going to have a stacked field, and uh, we think the fans are going to love it.
0: 2021. It will be September 6th through the 12th at Norwood Hills Country Club, where, by the way, Ben Hogan won the 1948
5: yep, PGA Championship. It's yesterday. a historic course and, and I think the players are gonna enjoy it. We uh Billy Andrade played here last week for the first time and he said that um it it's gonna be a great test for those guys, obviously, you know, fast greens, undulating. And he think that he you know, buzz is already out there among the tour players that St. Louis is gonna be a must stop. And and again, this is different than the PG at Bell Reve. This isn't one and done. This is you know, we have a four year contract and we're hoping, you know, this event stays in the community for the next twenty, thirty years.
0: Mary Grove, Urban League of Metropolitan St. Louis, Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater St. Louis, among the beneficiaries of the Ascension Charity Classic. Just go to ascensioncharityclassic.com. You get all the details and tickets, as Nick said, are already going. We really appreciate it. Thank you for being on Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX, Nick.
5: No, thank you for promoting
0: it. Go Chiefs. That's right. The Chiefs are next. Our producer, James O'Sullivan. I'm Tom Ackerman. Thank you to Whitey Herzog and Al Rabosky and Eli Drinkwitz on sports on a Sunday morning. This episode is brought to you by Progressive
1: Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.